Welcome to the Join My League Football Podcast with your host, Tim Kaleka. What's up, chumps? I am your host, Tim Kaleka. The second episode of the Join My League Football Podcast is here, and thank you for tuning in whenever you've decided to hit play. It doesn't matter the day or if it's morning, afternoon, evening, or night. It's all appreciated the same. A great show in store for you today. I'll get to the rundown in just a second, but first, I did want to take a minute to honor the legendary WWE star, Jim the Anvil Nightheart. The Anvil apparently hit his head after falling. He suffered a massive seizure and passed away in his home on August 13th. That's the report I heard. There's no telling how accurate that information is. But if it is true, man, what a tragic way to go. And really, that's just another unfortunate passing of a member of the Hart family and the wrestling community in general. Um, I I posted on Instagram yesterday that it seems like my childhood is slowly dying one wrestler death at a time. And it truly is heartbreaking. I, uh, I grew up watching The Anvil, and I'll never forget the formation of the New Heart Foundation in mid-1997. The classic American versus Canadian angle was one of my favorite angles in wrestling history. Now, I look at the picture of a Heart Foundation, and out of the five guys in the picture, only Brett the Hitman Heart remains alive. Owen, Davy Boy, Brian Pillman, all those guys, they passed away in their own extremely tragic way. And unfortunately, it looks like we can add Jim the Anvil Nightheart to that list. My deepest consolences go out to the entire Hart family and anyone who may have known Jim Nightheart personally. Now, moving on with the show, uh, the second episode is going to be a bit longer than the first because there's so much to get to. As I discussed last week, I'll be following up my AFC predictions with my NFC playoff predictions. I'm going to go over which players shine the most during week one of the preseason. Um, and one thing I did, I, a couple of things happened. I, I had a fantasy football draft scheduled for the weekend. Uh, that got canceled. And what I tried to do, I tried to line that the reschedule up to take place on the air. That way I could do my draft while recording live. Unfortunately, that didn't work out, so I really don't have anything to break down fantasy-wise for you. I haven't done my draft yet, uh, but rest assured when I do it, um, I will break it down, and I'll talk about some fantasy football when that happens. But there is a lot to get to, and as always, you can follow Join My League on Twitter at JML Podcast, like me on Facebook, and follow at Join My League Podcast. That's one word on Instagram. Uh, also, a YouTube channel has been created. Just go subscribe and share it. You guessed it, Join My League Podcast. Um, I did want to get to something I received, uh, a pretty nasty, explicit message in my Twitter DMs, my direct messages uh, over the weekend, and I do want to touch on that real quick. guy's name's Brian, an obvious Eagles fan from New Jersey, uh, basically said, in short, he thinks I'm a Patriots fanboy, and I need to take that red, white, and blue New England dick out of my mouth. First of all, Brian, I don't know if... I I sure hope you're listening because I'm not a Patriots fan. I showed no fandom towards them last week. I simply used historic facts to make a prediction that I think they'll win the conference. I root for the Patriots on occasion, and I do like to see them win because I respect them for everything they've accomplished over the last 20 years. If that's going to make me a fanboy to you, Brian, that's perfectly okay. Uh, But I know I'm not a fanboy. Patriots, and more specifically, Tom Brady haters, are unbelievable. 
Yeah, anybody who follows the sport of football, they know it's a team game. But when the Patriots lose, these haters refuse to acknowledge the team part of it. They like to say, well, Tom Brady lost to a backup quarterback in the Super Bowl. You know, never mind the fact that Tom Brady threw for a record 505 yards and three touchdowns against the Eagles. Just think about that for a second. Imagine if, if you can, if you can, the greatest passing performance in Super Bowl history was not enough for the Patriots to defeat the Eagles. But they pin the blame on him. And I understand that Patriots fans are arrogant and annoying to a point, but I think the haters are ten times worse. They reach for anything that they can to get a one-up because they know that their team does not have an ounce of success the Patriots have had over the last two decades. You know, there's, there's people arguing daily over the country throughout the national anthem and kneeling and boycotting the NFL and Donald Trump's tweeting and getting involved. And to me, that's just a distraction, a distraction from the real issue with people like Brian who are a cancer to the NFL community because I guarantee Brian has punched an old man in an Eagles game for wearing a Cowboys jersey and he takes pride in being a scumbag. Kill yourself, Brian. Don't ever listen to my podcast again. Jackass! Moving right along, I'm going to go to the preseason week one scars, the guys who shine, the guys whose stocks are on the rise after a great showing in week one of the preseason. I didn't watch much, and I told you last week I don't watch much, but I do like to go back and I like to look at the highlights from each game. And uh, two players that stuck out to me as week one stars are Sam Darnold and Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, Sam Darnold went 13 of 18 for 96 yards and a touchdown, and Teddy went 7 for 8 for 85 yards and a touchdown. Very similar numbers there. Uh, Darnold is seeing increased action with the ones in camp. And if they continue, these two guys continue to play at the same level, Sam Darnold will be the starter of the New York Jets come week one. I think as long as he doesn't look like a deer in headlights out there, there's no real reason not to start him. See what you got in him. Get him the experience he needs heading into his sophomore season. The Jets don't have Super Bowl aspirations or expectations this year. They're just looking for a significant improvement off of last year. And I think an 8-8 eight and eight record would be considered a success. So assuming Sam Darnold plays throughout camp and the preseason the way he did against the Falcons, he'll be your New York Jets starting quarterback moving forward. You're going to leave Josh McCown on the bench because I really don't think he has any chance of starting, barring injury, of course. So that begs the question, what do you do with Teddy Bridgewater? Well, we're one week into the preseason, and from what I've seen, we've had, I believe, three ACL tears. You know injuries are going to happen, and you know at some point somebody's going to be looking for a quarterback. So if the right offer comes along and Tampa Bay comes to mind, you deal Teddy, and you go into the season with Darnold and McCown as your top two quarterbacks. And if Sam Darnold plays at a rookie of the year caliber level, the Jets will have the most cap space available heading into next offseason. They very well could be on a hot landing spot for some big name free agents. So things with the Jets could get very interesting over the next nine months. I don't want to make a big deal about Saquon Barkley, who had four rushes for 43 yards, but his first NFL carry was a 39-yarder. Now, it was one play during a preseason game, so you don't want to get too hung up on that. But for a Giants team that had a real hard time running the football last season, if you're a Giants fan, that had to be nice to see. 
Uh, Kirk Cousins and Stephon Diggs, another couple of winners there in the Vikings-Broncos game. Uh, Cousins went 4 for 4 for 42 yards and a touchdown. Diggs brought in three of those passes for 35 yards and a touchdown as well. I want to pump the brakes on the Super Bowl talk for now, but if you're a Vikings fan, you have to be confident in what you saw on that first drive from your $84 million man and his top wideout. Uh, another star from that game, Vikings running back Rock Thomas. Somehow, he seemed to steal the show from Cousins and Diggs when he hit the field. He finished with eight rushes for 29 yards, but that didn't make him a week one star. He was the talk of the night after he caught three passes for 102 yards and two touchdowns in his very first NFL game. It's going to be interesting to see if the Jacksonville State product from Jacksonville, Alabama, not Florida, but it will be interesting to see if he can make the Vikings 53-man roster, and who knows, maybe he could fill the void left by third-string running back Jarek McKinnon. My final winner of the first week of preseason is the Cleveland Browns quarterback situation. Tyrod Taylor, Baker Mayfield, and Brogan Roback. Not sure if that's the right pronunciation on his name, uh, but that trio went for a total of 18 for 32, through for a collective 333 yards and three touchdowns. A very impressive debut for Baker Mayfield, who had 212 yards and two touchdowns of his own. There was a lot of concern over the maturity level of the former Heisman Trophy winner after a career full of inappropriate antics in Oklahoma, but if this kid wises up, he could very well be the quarterback the Browns have been looking for for the last uh, 10,000 years. Then again, he may be just another Johnny Manziel. That might not matter because head coach Hugh Jackson He's insisted that Tyrod Taylor is the number one quarterback of the team. We hear coaches say that every year, and by midseason, the number one, their guy, he's benched in favor of the rookie. But Tyrod Taylor seems to be impressing everybody at camp, and if he performs the way I think he might, it may be a while before we see Baker take over. The Browns are the Browns, everybody knows that, but if you look at the team, there's no denying the talent on both sides of the ball. I'm pretty high on the Browns this year, and I think at best they could wind up with eight wins. However, I do think five to six wins is more likely. But even that, that's five to six wins more than they had last season, and I think that would be a tremendous improvement. So those are my week one preseason stars. I'm going to take a review again next week. Not going to watch a whole lot of game, but I'll have a review and a rundown for you on next week's episode. This is where the fantasy draft was supposed to take place, but like I said, I'm not going to get into that, so I'm just going to go right into the NFC playoff predictions. But before I do, I want to encourage all of you to visit my hosting page at anchor.fm slash joinmyleague. Uh, this podcast has taken a lot of time and effort to get rolling, and not to mention it's going to take a few dollars to keep going as well. Uh, it's always going to be 100% free for you to listen to, However, if you're feeling generous, head over to anchor.fm slash joinmyleague, click support this podcast, and donate whatever you're feeling. There's no pressure, and your efforts are greatly appreciated. Now, last week I broke down the AFC and the six teams I believe will make the playoffs for that conference. If you haven't, you can check that episode out in the archives, again, at anchor.fm slash joinmyleague. You can't miss it. It's the only other podcast on there, uh, only other episode on there, I should say. And before I begin with playoff predictions for the NFC, 
I'd like to let everybody know right now that I tend to overthink things and I'm never quite sure about anything when it comes to sports. One of my best friends in the entire world, his name's Jake, he points this out to me whenever he asks me anything. Doesn't matter if he's going to ask me who's winning a football game, who's winning a basketball game, who, what UFC fight is going to be the best. I don't realize it until he points it out to me, but every time I'm going to answer his who I think's going to win with man that's tough. And instead of just giving him a flat answer, I go through five minutes of breaking down that I could see how both teams or fighters or whatever can win. Before I finish, he'll cut me off. You're doing it again, man. You're overthinking because you're trying to be different. I just don't like taking the hot teams or teams everyone is predicting because to me that's too predictable. And if there's one thing we all know about the NFL, it's that it's unpredictable. So... With that said, and I want you to keep that in mind through this entire segment, instead of going with an underdog team such as the Bears or 49ers, both of who I considered making the playoffs, I'm going to go with my head and go with the safe pick and with the sixth pick, uh, I'm sorry, the sixth spot in the NFC playoffs, I'm giving it to the Green Bay Packers. Now, barring another injury to number 12, the pun was definitely intended. I hope you got that. But Uh, Barring another entry to 12, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers should return to the playoffs this year uh, simply because Rodgers is that good. But this is it. This is the last year I'm picking them to make the playoffs just based off of Aaron Rodgers' talent. Their roster is hot garbage, and with the exception of number 12. Green Bay needs to improve so they don't have to be counted out if Rodgers goes down. And they won't have to rely on Rodgers to to return and make everything just fine again. It might work this year, it's worked in the past, and if so, if it does work this year, it's not working for much longer. I think the addition of Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis solidifies the tight end spots. I'm just wondering what kind of Jimmy Graham the Packers are getting. But to me, their running game is weak sauce, their receiving core is trash, although for fantasy purposes, I am high on Devontae Adams. The guy caught 74 balls and 10 touchdowns with Brent Hundley throwing to him. I think that has to account for something. Uh, but the Packers' defense, it has more holes than a Mandalay Bay hotel hallway. Is that, is that a little too soon? Yeah, maybe. But the bright side for that side of the ball has to be letting Dom Capers go and bringing in former Bills and Jets defensive coordinator Mike Patine, whose units always have a tendency to finish top 10 in total defense. I've also heard ramblings about the Packers being the favorite to land Khalil Mack in the Raiders trade. It's not going to fix all their defense should they land him, but they'll be making progress if they do. All in all, if Aaron Rodgers can play 16 games, they should be a 10-win team, and that should get them into the playoffs. Now, the damage they do in the playoffs will then depend on how much the youngsters on the team can contribute. Now, on to number five, the fifth seed I have, the New Orleans Saints. Like Brady, like Rodgers, there's not much you can really say about Drew Brees that hasn't already been said. You already know what you're getting from him. Probably 4,500 yards and about 30 touchdowns. Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, they boast the best running back duo in the NFL. They're two different backs, and they complement each other in a scary way. I think Ingram runs through guys. Alvin Kamara runs around them. I think both are capable of catching passes. They're both capable of taking over a game. 
Even though the Saints will be without Ingram the first four games of the year, they should be just fine. Michael Thomas is going to be Drew Brees' go-to guy once again this year, and an aging Ted Ginn, along with former Chicago Bear Cameron Meredith coming off a knee injury, they're going to fill the two and three receiver spots. The lack of depth there is a little concerning to me, but it is Drew Brees. He'll make it work. Now, the defense is where it gets interesting for this team because, like I said, you know what you're getting with the offense, as I discussed, but a once incapable defense is now starting to show its potential. The Saints used several high draft picks on defensive players over the last couple of years, and like the Cleveland Brown, this may be the year the defense takes the next step. The Saints do have a rough schedule this season, so I'm not going to take them to win the division. They really shouldn't have any trouble competing for a wild card spot. With 10 or 11 wins, I think they should be able to grab the number five spot. Now, I want to rewind a little bit. I want to take you back about seven years or so in 2011 when the Philadelphia Eagles, they signed a slew of free agents and Vince Young, of all people, deemed them the dream team. The Eagles already had Mike Vick. They signed Vince Young, but also free agents Jason Babin, Namni Asamoah, Colin Jenkins, Dominique rogers cromartie Johnny Lee Higgins, Ronnie Brown, Donald Lee, and Steve Smith. Not, not that Steve Smith. Uh, the other Steve Smith, the one you can't remember. And I know some of those names might not ring a bell, but in 2011, with those signings, it seemed like the Eagles were making an NFL version of a super team. Now, expectations were extremely high, and the Eagles did not deliver. They finished 8-8. Eight and eight, did not qualify for the playoffs, and I get the same type of feel about the LA Rams this year, who I'm going to give them the NFC West title and the number four seed, but I'm a little hesitant to do so. I think just like the 2011 Eagles, the Rams signed a ton of free agents, they made splashing trades, and an already talented roster wound up adding Nam Kung Su, John Sullivan, Marcus Peters, Akib Talib, Sam Shields, Brandon Cooks. It's Super Bowl or bust in LA this year, and it feels like a letdown waiting to happen. This team made the playoffs a year ago with Jared Goff having an excellent sophomore season and Todd Gurley being a top two running back in the league. Todd Gurley is in the last year of his current deal. He'll be eager to prove that he is the best back in football. I think it's absolutely ridiculous how much talent this offense has. But as talented as they may be, the defense may be even more scary. With three Pro Bowl additions joining Aaron Donald, I think they're a little thin at linebacker. But that's my really that's really my only concern with this defense. Uh, well, that and a potential personality clashes in the locker room. Peters, Sue, Talib, they're all full of personality. And all three of those guys have rubbed people the wrong way on their previous team. So... And maybe that's why I'm so iffy on the Rams this year. I might be a little concerned with how they gel together. I might be a little concerned with their chemistry. But they do have a chance to be elite. So while I'm fighting the urge to overthink and put San Francisco in the top spot, I'm going to go ahead and put the Rams there. Now looking back to last year, I think we can all agree that the Eagles were a team of destiny. But during the playoffs... Destiny seemed to be in the hands of the Minnesota Vikings. They were the darlings of the NFL up until they laid a fat turd on the field, a Lincoln Financial. Some would say the team is cursed, and they definitely have had some bad luck on their side. But if there's ever a time to break a curse or reverse your luck for the Vikings, 
it will be this year, it'll be next year, and it'll be the year after. The team let Case Keenum, Teddy Bridgewater, and Sam Bradford all walk in free agency, and they put all their chips in the Kirk Cousins basket. They landed him for an absurd $84 million fully guaranteed contract. And I'm going to tell you why those numbers are absurd, but I'm also going to tell you why I like the signing. I like the signing because Kirk Cousins, it's a fact, he's an upgrade over all three of those previous quarterbacks. That cannot be argued. If you look at Cousins' body of work in Washington and look at the talent that surrounded him, take that same player from Washington, put him on this Vikings team, and see the difference. The Vikings could have kept Case Keenum and saved themselves $10 million, but Case Keenum was overpaid in Denver anyway. You're always going to overpay for a quarterback, and that's just the way it is. The signing definitely made history, but history will be made the next time a quarterback signs a contract, and it's just going to keep happening. The Vikings knew the guy they wanted in free agency, and they did what they had to do to get him. I was talking to, uh, to a guy I work with the other day. He told me that if Kirk Cousins doesn't throw for 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns, it's a bust. Stupid idiot. It's not a bust if he doesn't throw for 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns. It's a bust if they don't win the Super Bowl by 2020. The Vikings did not sign Kirk Cousins for gaudy MVP numbers. He's not even going to have to put up numbers as good as they were in Washington anyway because he has more than capable running game and a top-ranked defense and better wide receivers than he had in Washington, and all that is going to take the pressure off of him. They signed Kirk Cousins to upgrade the position, and they did just that. That cannot be argued. They signed Cousins for the next three years, which means this year particularly, it's not necessarily boom or bust. But anything short of a championship win by the end of the 2021 season, that will be a major letdown. That's where the signing will turn into a bust. I think they're a better team than last year, but I don't see them having quite as good of a season. They have a new quarterback coming in, as we talked about, a new offensive coordinator. It's going to take them time to build chemistry, and I think they'll stumble, stumble out the gate. They have tough road games against the Eagles, Packers, and Rams. I personally could see the Vikings having three losses by week five. The other concern I have is the offensive line. We saw how that position single-handedly derailed Minnesota's 2016 season. They're going through the same kind of stuff now, and they're reshuffling now that they had to do two years ago. But I do think the team's going to eventually find their groove by midseason. They're going to fight for a division crown. But I do think it's worth mentioning that they could slip to the wild card or even out of the playoffs completely if the offensive line plays anywhere near as poorly as they did two years ago. Again, there's no denying the talent this young team has. I do see them fighting for and winning the division crown, but coming up just short of the top two seeds in the conference. Now, the NFC is extremely tough to predict. It's an incredibly deep conference, one of the deeper conferences I think I've seen in my lifetime. But I have noticed a lot of the people who've made predictions so far, we're all picking, all of us are picking the same teams to make the playoffs, or at least for the most part, the same teams, but nobody can agree on the seeding. I got the Eagles coming in at number two, and a lot of people are kind of on me for that because they think the Eagles are by far and away team, the best in the NFC, if not the NFL. But I have them taking a slight step back to the number two, and that's not based on their roster getting worse because in many ways it did get better. Mostly basing it on history, the Eagles are defending the Super Bowl for the very first time this year. Last year was straight destiny. There wasn't anybody stopping the Eagles last year. They were tough. 
They were determined. They knew they were winning it all before anybody else did. And I think they're going to have to have that same mindset going into this year because this year they're the hunted. Every game they play, the opposing team is going to want to make a name for themselves by defeating the defending Super Bowl champions. History rarely repeats itself in the NFL, but the Eagles are absolutely loaded, so it is possible they dominate the NFL once again. My only concern with them is the loss of offensive coordinator Frank Reich and quarterbacks coach John DiFilippo. John DiFilippo. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Uh, John DiFilippo. That name's funny to me. I don't know why. But they do return just about every starter from last year, and this is Carson Wentz's team. So when he's fully healthy, there's not going to be a quarterback controversy. Uh, Wentz will be the starter. He will play as soon as he can, and I personally think he's an obvious upgrade over Nick Foles. So again, I do have the Eagles taking a slight step back down the rankings, but absolutely, I believe they will be fighting for the top seed and another trophy to put in their uh, newly minted case. Rounding out the list of my NFC playoff predictions, if you haven't figured it out by now, the number one seed I have, maybe surprising, the Atlanta Falcons. The road to Super Bowl 53 in Atlanta will go through Atlanta. I feel as if the Dirty Birds are still reeling from the most heartbreaking loss in Super Bowl history. I still feel like they have a chip on their shoulder, and although still a forced, The talent was there last year, but they regressed some offensively, and I think a lot of that had to do with the departure of Kyle Shanahan to the 49ers. With Steve Sarkeesian entering his second year with the offense, I expect them to perform better than they did last year and get back to their elite ways. Matt Ryan is Matt Ryan, an easy 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. Guy has weapons galore on that offense, and... With the Falcons taking Alabama's Calvin Ridley in the draft to play opposite Julio Jones, that could be a stroke of genius. You're going to add in Mohamed Sanu and Austin Cooper. Their passing game is straight up scary, and we haven't even talked about dual threat running backs Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. They're going to be just as good as ever. Again, they pose a threat on the ground and, more importantly, in the passing game. The defense is led by Vic Beasley, and they're an aggressive, rising, extremely fast defense. They will be without Don Terry Poe and Adrian Claiborne, but they're going to bring in some new guys with high ceilings and unlimited potential. I think the sky is the limit for the defense and the team in general, but the highlight of the team being the prolific offense, and I think the offense can carry this team to the number one seed, a bye, and home field advantage throughout the playoffs and there you have it folks my full nfc playoff prediction breakdown to go along with my afc playoff prediction breakdown from last week tell me what you think by leaving a message or a comment on social media i'm going to go through it again follow on twitter jml podcast like join my league on facebook follow on instagram at join my league podcast and finally available on youtube subscribe at join my league podcast Next week, I do have in store for you guys full playoff predictions and spoilers for the playoffs five months early. You're really not going to find that anywhere but here. I'm also going to go over a recap a week two of the NFL preseason uh, season-long prop bets you might want to keep your eye on if you're a bet man. Uh, There are some interesting value bets out there you can make. I'm going to tell you about them next week and uh, maybe some fantasy news if I get my draft up and running sometime this week or this weekend. Thank you, everybody, for listening once again. Like I said, it doesn't matter when you hit that play button. 
as long as you hit that play button. Thank you so much for tuning in again. And uh, real quick, thank you to everybody who was so supportive over the last week. I think last week's episode was a lot bigger of a success than I was expecting. Uh, and a lot of the kind words, with the exception of Brian, it means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. So keep spreading the word. I can't say it enough. I want to invite everybody to join my league. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Adios, chumps.